Hi guys and welcome back to the Killer Crime Podcast. My name is Georgia and today I'm going to be talking about the case of two little girls who went to buy sweets one day but never returned. So this is the case of the Soham murders. It was a warm summer's evening in late 2002 when best friends Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were enjoying a barbecue at Jessica's house in Soham, Cambridgeshire. The girls attended the same school and were the best of friends. On that night, they were wearing matching red Manchester United football shirts and they posed for a picture together while wearing them. After eating their dinner, they decided to sneak out of the house without telling their parents to go and buy sweets from the shop down the road. At around 8.30pm, Holly's parents decided it was time to go home, so they went upstairs to get the girls from Jessica's bedroom, which is when they noticed that they were missing. Of course, they were completely panicked and thus began a massive search for the two little girls. They were reported as missing people, so the police got involved and hundreds of people from the local area joined in the search. The police interviewed lots of people, including the caretaker or janitor of the girls' school, a 29-year-old man named Ian Huntley. Ian had come forward to the police and told them that he might have been the last person to see the girls alive. I'll insert the clip of his TV appearance here. How do we know they were here at 6.15? Well, we have an eyewitness. Ian Huntley here is a familiar figure. Evening, Ian. You're the school caretaker. The girls, Jessica and Holly, would know you and they saw you on the front doorstep. What, what went on? The girl, but I don't know the girls. Um, I was still on the front doorstep grooming my dog down. She'd run away and come back a bit of a mess. Um, they just came across and asked how Miss Carr was. She used to teach them at St Andrews. Um, I just said she weren't very good as she hadn't got the job. And they just says, please tell her that we're very sorry. Miss Carr that Huntley was referring to in that clip was his girlfriend Maxine, who worked as a teaching assistant, so Holly and Jessica knew her quite well. Because of the fact that he was the last person to see the girls alive, the police searched Ian Huntley's home, but they didn't find anything suspicious. His girlfriend Maxine also told the police that she had been with Huntley all evening, so he was ruled out as a suspect. The police then set up a cordon around the girls' primary school, which prevented anyone from going in or leaving. A policeman was stationed by the cordon at all times to monitor this, and Ian Huntley started going up to this policeman and asking really weird, like really specific questions. Things like, how long does it take for DNA profiling to be done at a lab? Obviously, due to the nature of the case, members of the public were very interested in seeing what was happening and keeping up to date with everything. But the questions that Ian were asking were just so specific that it really raised suspicions of investigators who then decided to do a second thorough search, including the school. In the storage building of the school, they found the remains of Holly and Jessica's red Manchester United shirts that they'd been wearing on the day of their disappearance. The next day, the police arrested Ian Huntley and his girlfriend Maxine Carr on suspicion of murder. Their arrests sent shockwaves throughout the community. On the same day that Maxine and Ian were arrested, three walkers found the remains of Holly and Jessica after being alerted by the smell of rotting flesh. They were near RAF Lakenheath, which is an airfield near Ian Huntley's house. So, what had happened to them? So firstly, Maxine had lied to the police. That day, she wasn't with Ian, she'd been visiting her family in Grimsby, Lincolnshire, but told the police the lie in order to give him an alibi. The police checked her phone records and found that she had called Ian multiple times, which obviously wouldn't make any sense to do if she had been at home with him. 
Apparently, she was scared that if he had been convicted of murdering the girls, she would lose her job. Huntley later confessed everything to the police and told them how the murder had occurred. He said that he saw the girls walking past his house that evening and so invited them in, telling them that Maxine was inside. Once inside, he ended up murdering Holly before killing Jessica too as she tried to phone her mum for help. At his initial trial in the Old Bailey in 2003, Huntley said that he'd smothered Jessica by mistake as she tried to stop her crying after Holly died, but his story soon changed. He said, if she hadn't kept shouting, she'd have got out of the house alive. I was telling her to stop shouting so I could think. She kept saying, you pushed her, you pushed her. It was only when I put my hand on her shoulder as she went for the door that I realised I couldn't let her leave the house. Detectives estimate that the girls may have been dead by 6.46pm that evening, because that was the time Jessica's phone had been switched off. Huntley claims police failed to notice the phone on his draining board when they did the initial door-to-door inquiries following the pair's disappearance, so he later disposed of it in a bin at the Tesco nearby, having cleaned it of fingerprints. The phone was never found. Huntley claims he phoned Maxine after murdering the girls to tell her what he'd done. Upon informing her he intended to confess, the killer insists that his fiancée urged him not to tell the truth because she was worried that she would lose her job as a teaching assistant. It's not known whether this is true, but Maxine Carr was later jailed for attempting to pervert the course of justice because of the lies she told to cover for Huntley. During his trial, Huntley insisted that Holly had suffered a nosebleed. He claimed that he'd been trying to help her to attend to it when he accidentally knocked her into his bath, where she apparently accidentally drowned. A pathologist studying these claims, Dr Nathaniel Carey, rejected this story, however, calling it wholly implausible. The jury saw through Huntley's lies too, and took less than 18 hours to return with a guilty verdict. Only one person on the 12-strong jury believed the caretaker was innocent. It had been claimed during the trial by prosecutors that the motives for the murders was actually a sexual one, something which certainly links to Ian Huntley's past, and is also supported by the fact that he'd washed his bedsheets after the murders had taken place. So I also looked into more of the background of Ian Huntley because when a murder occurs it's really rare that it's the murderer's first time of demonstrating that sort of really high level of aggression and violence and sure enough Huntley has a disgusting history. So from the beginning, Ian Kevin Huntley was born in 1974 into working class home near Grimsby and he had quite an unhappy and unsettled childhood. He was bullied at school and got the nickname Spadehead. He apparently also reacted quite violently to the bullying, so much so that at the age of 13 he was actually moved schools and had to start afresh, but he didn't seem to have had a much better time at his new school either. Despite that, he left with five GCSEs and was keen to get out into the real world and start earning money. When he was 20, he embarked on a whirlwind romance and married within weeks. The marriage only lasted a couple of months before his bride left him for his younger brother. This is when he started relationships with a number of young girls, and like so many paedophiles, he weaves an elaborate web of intrigue and fantasy to attract them. Huntley told people that he had been in the RAF and had to leave on health grounds, he told other girls that his father had died, and even told some that he was training as a bodybuilder. Rebecca Bartlett was 17 when she fell for Huntley, but his charm soon turned to violence and he began to cheat on her with girls who were even younger than she was. 
One of his earliest victims was a girl just 11 years old when he took her to an orchard in Cleethorpes and subjected her to a sexual attack that lasted for more than three hours. But due to a lack of evidence, police investigations were dropped, leaving Huntley free to attack again. In 1998, Huntley was investigated for indecent assault and for rape after an 18-year-old girl claimed that he had followed her home from a nightclub to an underpass where he viciously raped her, but again the case never proceeded to court. Around this time he met 22-year-old Maxine Carr at a nightclub, and within weeks they had moved in together. From all accounts, that was quite a turbulent relationship. The couple moved to Cambridgeshire in 2001, Maxine got a job as a teaching assistant at the local primary school and Huntley got the job as the caretaker, and then the next year would be the year he would murder Holly and Jessica. Psychologists who have studied Ian Huntley's behaviour say that he has many of the classic characteristics of a psychopath. From being bullied at a young age, he was a loner, very isolated from others and just felt very excluded from the world. This in turn made him feel very resentful and so as he got older he turned more manipulative and controlling, which is a primary characteristic of a psychopath. He developed into an accomplished liar and that is apparently really common of paedophiles due to the fact that they have to cover their tracks constantly throughout their lives. So where are they now? Maxine Carr was sentenced to three and a half years in prison after being found guilty of conspiring with Huntley to pervert the course of justice. She changed her name when she was released and was granted an injunction to stop the public from ever knowing her new name, and she gave birth to a baby boy in 2011, whose name will also never be released to the public. Ian Huntley was sentenced to two life sentences, which means he will serve a minimum of 40 years in prison, although he's never expected to be released. He is currently imprisoned at a high-security HMP Franklin in Durham. So that is the case of the Soa murders. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed today's case. If you've listened all the way to this point then firstly thank you so much and if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts we would be so grateful as it really helps to support us. Remember also to let us know your thoughts because we're always active on our Instagram, TikTok and we're also starting to build up our Facebook group and we'd love to hear your comments on this case. But remember to be loud, be fierce, and don't talk to killers. Bye, guys.